Hey everyone, this episode is with Ryan and Russell Mascarenas, brothers and co-owners of Goldwyn and Sons, which is the barbershop that I go to in Oakville. They run this awesome barbershop in the Brawny Harbor area in Oakville that they've built to cater specifically to small business owners and entrepreneurs. As you'll hear in this podcast, their barbershop is far more than just a place to get your hair cut. Wait until you hear how driven these guys are, their deep internal reasons for quitting their well-paying jobs to become entrepreneurs, Ryan's new journey into real estate investing with Rockstar, and both of their big plans for business and life. These guys are super motivational. I love talking to them when I get a cut and I love talking to them on this podcast. So in this podcast, Ryan also mentioned a great insight and line from one of Tom and Nick's books that they've co-authored, which you'll hear about. It turns out this line was from Tom and Nick's most recent book. And in my opinion, their best one, how to make money investing in real estate in Canada, the shockingly simple formulas Canadian real estate investors use to create income for life. This book was literally my Bible when I began investing in real estate. It taught me all about the basic of investing, how to grow a portfolio, number crunching, marketing systems for finding tenants, how to invest in and manage student rentals and rent to own properties, negotiation and persuasion tactics, property management advice, housing market fundamentals, using joint ventures to invest. And now looking back on this book and reflecting, everything it covers is what I've put into place to personally grow my portfolio up to this point. From investing in my first rent to own deal to now investing in student rentals, doing joint ventures for every deal I've done, finding and screening tenants all over Ontario, and now managing properties, looking back, the knowledge in this book was truly the foundation of it all for me and my real estate partner. So I'm really glad Ryan mentioned just that one line because it made me reflect on how the info from this book literally translated into real life wealth creation in my life. So honestly, I highly recommend you check it out if you haven't already. By the way, this book used to be called the Canadian Real Estate Investing Blueprint, but we just updated it to the new version, How to Make Money Investing in Real Estate in Canada. We sell a paper copy of this book on Amazon for $25, but you can download this entire book for free as a PDF ebook at rockstarinnercircle.com slash books. That's rockstar innercircle.com slash books to download a free copy of this book. So without further ado, Ryan and Russell Mascarenas and their inspiring story. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. So we're live. I just started rolling a while ago. Oh, did you? <laughs> good. Yeah, it's a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. I like to trick people sometimes. Okay. That's good, man. So so come up to the mics, guys. Okay. Just right up there. Yeah. And then, uh, so I'm with Ryan and Russell Mask Arenas. Am I saying that right? It's Mascarenas. Mascarenas. Yeah, I, I always think, hey, both. Macarena, when yeah. I, when oh, I had, read your we name. Had, we had that one in elementary school. Hey, Mascarena. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, we had that and also in the Army Reserves. I didn't know this, okay? When I was in the Army Reserves. I didn't know this, but my nickname uh, amongst the officer cadre, cadre was Macaroni, right? He's like, so one day in the middle of class, they'd be like, hey, Macro- I mean, Mascarenas. <laughs> Did these guys call me Macaroni the whole time? Were you in the reserves? I didn't know that. The Army Reserves, yeah. Oh, wow. 2014, 2016. Okay. Uh, Army engineers. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that experience like? It was um, actually... It was life-changing, obviously. Everything that I had gone through, I appreciated. I actually still love the reserves. I, um, I never forgot a single lesson. I'll pack my bag or I'll go winter camping or something, and all those lessons will just come flooding back. So the level of experience I got from it was like through the roof. Um, it was stressful. I don't think it was for me. That's why I left in 2016. But I still look back and I'm like, I can't believe I actually checked that off in my life. So yeah, Army engineers. It was, yeah. good. It was a good stint. I, I was actually interested in joining the reserves when I was about 20, 21. Yeah. And I just couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. But I liked discipline and I knew I needed to get disciplined. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it would maybe kind of help provide that for me. 100%. So like uh, if you go to the officer route, like you had a university degree, 100% discipline, right? But even more than the discipline, it's discipline under duress, right? Like so when you haven't slept for five days and the um, they, they have like gunfire over you, they have like commands that you have to give out and whatever. And you still have to remember your lessons. You still have to like give orders like in a way that the soldiers will understand under like pressure. Those were all the lessons of the army that, that uh, you really take away. So you get discipline for sure, but you get discipline under duress, which is something that like, how do you replicate that in real life? Mm-hmm. Right. So, was this during the boot camp that you, that you experienced, I guess the gunfire and all this type of stuff? No, like, um, there was, 
So there was boot camp where I learned how to uh, fire rifle, like, I don't know. The fitness testing. Fitness, the fitness test is very easy, but yeah. it was like several, several weeks in. You do the, uh, you, you handle a C7 or a C4. I think C4. No, C7. But it was the uh, officer training. That's where, because as an officer, you'll never see that kind of battlefield as often. So they put it, they give it to you in the beginning. And so they, I remember like it was like minus 20. We had to dig a trench. We had to stay outside in the middle of the night, watch the trench. And then suddenly they attacked us at like 3 a.m. And there was like flares going off. And they started rolling like, uh, what's that thing? Flashbangs? Yeah, yeah. Flashbangs on the, right behind our heels and stuff. Just to scare us. And we had to figure out like where enemy fire was coming from, how to secure the area. Some of us were still in our boxers. So we had to like get all our clothes on because it was the middle of the night. So where was this? Like Northern Ontario or Quebec? Yeah, I think it was uh, Borden. Okay. Borden or... Um, no, Borden, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. What a yeah, cool you experience. You I, I think I would have, but then I saw the commitment that it was like once one weekend every month, you yeah. have to like uh, do the reserve thing and then like one overnight trip or something every few months, something yeah. like that. And I was just like, ah, I don't want to do the commitment. And I just tried to self-discipline instead. Um, no, but, you did a great job, man. Like knowing you, like Russell and I know you, you've done a great job of that. But yeah, like even the commitments are not, they're not like 100% like if you have a family event, they're pretty forgiving. That's why the, in the regular army, when I went for like um, uh, engineer officer training for a couple of weeks, those guys used to call me the weekend warrior. Yeah. Because that's it, because they, they're full-time. Yeah. And you get trained to the same specs as full-time army, but the full-time army doesn't consider you full-time. Yeah, they live it, right? Yeah, so they, they, they rail you uh, for that, but it's, uh, but still you get good friends there, man. Yeah, geez, what a cool experience. Yeah, it was oh, good. Okay, so Ryan and Russell, so who are you guys? What do you guys do? Well, I'm, uh, I'm the co-owner of uh, Golden and Sons Barbershop with my brother, Ryan. Just come up to the mic, yeah. Um, I'm also a barber at the barbershop. Uh, we opened... You're my barber, that's how we met? That's right, yes, that's right, that's right. That's right. right. Uh, we opened, what, three, four years ago? Yeah, so uh, legally 2019, but the doors opened uh, 2020, February 2020. Okay, so this was in Oakville in the Brawny Harbor location. What, were you just a barber right out of high school? How'd you get into the barber? So it's, it's a long story though. So I'm gonna, so basically. <laughs> Give us the short version. Okay, the short version is um, I was getting haircuts at a barbershop called Trinobago in uh, here, Ontario, on Dundas. Okay. That was my first barbershop. Trinidadian place? It's, uh, well, it's everyone. It was a Jamaican guys. It was a Caribbean barbershop. Yeah, yeah. I uh, was walking only, it was like $10 haircuts. Um, you have to say something or no one's gonna look at you. So sometimes I would wait there for like an hour, didn't say anything and they're like, I'm like, can I get next? And he's like, well, I got three guys ahead of you. So whatever, that haircut changed my life. When I got that ha first haircut, it completely changed my, hair my, my life because I was, I was getting haircuts at first choice. Yeah. So my buddy took me to this spot and then I, I got my haircut and after that, um, what did you get a fade? Yeah, I got a fade. Yeah, got the, fade, got the Caribbean places give you the best yeah, the fades. Fades and the lineups were like was on point. Yeah, and I just looked at myself in the mirror and this jolt of confidence just just happened. Wow! So I bought a car. I got new clothes. I think six months later, I got a girlfriend. Like it was just changed my life. So after that, fast forward three years, I was still going to that shop, but I was waiting like three hours every time for a haircut. So then I decided to cut my own hair at home. And then one thing led to another. I was in my house for five years cutting hair in my basement. I, it, it became a, a money-saving tactic to a hobby. And then and I think it was 2013, my buddy said, he's like, I think you're ready to work at a shop. And I'm like, there's no way, I'm Indian. There's no way I could even get into a trade. I have to get into either like corporate, I have to go, I have to go white collar for sure. Yeah. So then I got, a, I, I, um, I interviewed a bunch of barber, uh, barber shops and I liked one. So then I spoke to one guy and then he gave me the keys to the shop on a Sunday and a Monday. That was my first day cutting hair. So I cut hair on a Sunday and Monday and I made so much money. At that time I was working at Telus part-time selling phones. And then I told my boss, listen, I gotta take Sundays off. She's like, you're already part-time, you can't take Sundays off. You're only working Saturday, Sunday. Then I just told her, I'm like, listen, I have to quit then. Cause I'm making way more money doing this. And I actually like doing this cause I'm connecting with people. I'm talking to people. I love being social. So then I started cutting hair in Streetsville, which is where I was, uh, where I started my career. And then from then on, it just took off. Yeah. And yeah. So I was, I've been cutting hair for now for like 15 years. Wow. Yeah. And it shows, man. Thanks. Good barber. No, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Give yeah. it a great fade. Yeah, thank so, you, man. Um, okay. So how did Goldwyn and Sons come about? 
you guys went into business together, opened up this barbershop. Ryan, your background is in engineer, right? Yeah, so I graduated from engineering at McMaster in 2011. I worked uh, from 2011 to say 2017 at like various, no, 2019, the various jobs. And I tried to start one business in the middle and because of that business, I went into IT. So I went from engineering, engineering sales, and then I slowly went into the technical field. And the whole time I just hated working for other people, hated working for other people. So then what happened was I told my brother, I'm like, you know what, uh, let's, let's just start a business, right? So we came up with this idea, this Epoch Barbershop. And Epoch was supposed to represent like a new era, right? E-P-O-C-H. So the, the barbershop was supposed to have like uh, different boots where you might have like, a, you might have a, a barber, a suit guy, whatever, all like laid out. So you got total grooming in this one solution. And then we opened that place in Brampton. You know, didn't like the, <laughs> <laughs> right? didn't, didn't like the, 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 the clientele there. And you know I'm from Brampton, right? Yeah, we're from Brampton, right? So <laughs> yeah. we left Brampton. Yeah. So we didn't. Uh, we decided to park it, right? So we Russell took care of the took over the business, closed it down a little later after he he made back all the money, and then um, we paused for a year. And then what happened was, I said, okay, so I've always wanted to open my own business because I was tired of working for other people, and. I had gone through so much trying to figure out how to open the barbershop with the city, all the permits and licenses. I'm like, I don't want to lose this knowledge. So I called him up and I'm like, uh, yo, would you be interested in starting up another shop? And he's like, yo, you know what? I've been waiting for you to call me. <laughs> so then, uh, that's yeah. how Tom and Nick started this business actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tom got super frustrated one day with his corporate job. He had just been reamed out, I think by a sales manager, um, for not hitting his quota after like crushing it for months Yeah. and, uh, got frustrated, wrote down that he wanted to do the real estate stuff, was already doing that on the side a bit and then called Nick and was like, do you want to start this thing with me? And it was the same thing. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was just scared to even jump in. I was cutting hair in a, in a basement of a salon at that point. I was just renting a little room. And Ryan's like, do you want to do this, but bigger and better? Mm -hmm. And when we, we sat together, but we decided we're not going to open in Mississauga, Milton, Brampton. We're like, we have to come to Oakville. Why Oakville? Um, so basically, when I was cutting hair, it's the, it's, it's the conversation is when you... Basically, you are the average of the five people you hang out with. Basically, that everyone says that. Mm -hmm. So when you're cutting hair for like 12 hours a day, you're cutting high school kids all day, and you're sitting with them for half an hour at each appointment, and the conversations you're having with them are not the <laughs> best. You guys, you, you guys probably know, not the best. So then um, we knew that Oakville people are doing a lot better. The average income is higher, which means they know what they're doing, making more money. I don't know what they're doing. They know something that we don't know. Yeah. So, so instead of investing my time with high school kids, the conversation they're having, no, no, no offense to them, but we wanted to learn what it takes to become like these guys in Oakville. Like, how are they, how are they driving these Ferraris? How are they having these big mansions? We, there's something we don't know. And in Mississauga, I don't think we were going to get that answer. In the area, especially the area we were in. So then we went, we went walking in Oakville a bunch of times for our meetings before we opened the shop. And um, one time we saw... Uh, you know the guy that built Drake's house, Ferris Rafuli? Yeah. So we saw him, and I told Ryan, I'm like, if this guy's here, like, we have to come here. Yeah. Because these guys, they know something. We don't know nothing. They know, they know something about the, the hustle, the struggle. They know something. So we got to come here and just submerge ourselves with the, the, the similar people. So that's why we decided Oakville, to be honest. So was this almost like a stepping stone to get to the next level of business or wealth creation? Like, let's open the barbershop here to soak up as much knowledge as we can? Or was it just like, look, we want to open a barbershop. Let's yeah. do it in a successful affluent area. Like, it's only positives from doing that. Well, for me, it was just like learning. Yeah. I just want to learn. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't care about how much money they had to spend with us. I just wanted to know that we came, if they came for a haircut and in 30 minutes, what can I learn from this guy? If he's a CEO for this big company, what can I learn from him? You know what I mean? So that's, I don't know if it was similar for you. But. No, same thing. Like, uh, okay, so when we opened the barbershop, it was a means to an end. One, it was like, it's a very stable industry. He was a barber. That we thought. Well, we thought it was yeah, stable. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, was a, I was an engineer, right? I've always wanted to start my own business. So together, I'm like, this is like an infallible uh, uh, project, right? And then, 
So when we started the barbershop, it was just to understand, like, what does it take to succeed in business? Because if we can't succeed in this, when all the pieces are given to us, then what can, how can we ever pursue the bigger projects? So yeah, it was a means to an end. Um, but what I didn't know was how much of a means the barbershop would become. Like, like Mavericks, I guess we'll talk about that in like some time down the road. But Yeah, so why don't we just jump into it. So your barbershop um, has a theme, or at least appeals to entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I think executives, right? Like, yeah. The- and high net worth people. So you really, everything is geared towards appealing to those people. That's right. Um, what attracted me to your guys' shop originally is I moved to Oakville from Brampton for a lot of similar reasons. <laughs> One, I already worked here and was commuting, so I wanted to be close, but I didn't want to you know, be in Mississauga or Burnt. Like I wanted to be right in Oakville and in a, a nice, wealthy, and affluent area because I just knew like it would just soak in, right? Mm-hmm. Just from being around those types of people and stuff. Um, and I saw your guys' Google reviews. You had great Google reviews. It was like 150 five-star reviews or whatever it was. It was two-minute walk from my front door. Mm-hmm. So great. But I walk in, and then I see your bookshelf. And that's what sold me on your guys' place. Because wow. it had Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It had all these personal development books, Jordan Peterson books, huge Jordan Peterson fan. And I was like, okay, these guys like, like-minded like already. <laughs> and half the haircut is the conversation. Of course. You know what I mean? So that's what it tried. And then you had like this thing on the wall, the Entrepreneur's yeah. Creed or something. And then I got my haircut with you, Russ, mm-hmm. I think. And then, uh, and just talking to you, I could tell that you guys were driven and you, you know, you told me about your story. You're asking me about real estate investing. And I was like, okay, you know, this is my shop instantly. So it kind of appealed to me cause I'm attracted to that type of stuff. Right. But you guys like the, it's not just that you guys are into this. Like you've set up your business in a way to directly appeal mm-hmm. to entrepreneurs in a variety of different ways. Yeah. We, like we didn't know that was going to happen. I mean, I had, Russell and I hoped that would happen. So we, we made a really nice shop. I remember reading uh, Tough Minded Leadership by Joe Batten, and that's where I got the entrepreneur's credo. So I asked Russ, like, or do you agree to put this on the wall? So we put that on the wall to remind ourselves, like, this is why we're getting into entrepreneurship. Like, entrepreneurship is something that goes in our blood, right? Like, it goes back in our family's generation. So anyway, that spirit sort of imbued the shop. So the books that we had, the conversations that we were having, uh, the way we were treating clients, and we would, I don't know, like the both of us would always just gravitate towards, you should start your own business. Or you, like, what are you doing for investing? Or something like that. We just chat about that. And more and more of those people started coming. Right? And what we, what we didn't bank on, but it, uh, I think unconsciously, we, this was going to work out, we knew, was that we were the nicest barbershop. I'm just saying most upscale. It was, because that's the intent. It was the most upscale barbershop in one of the most affluent neighborhoods in Oakville. So I'm like, who else is going to come in here then? Right? Yeah. So these guys. You did set it up to attract those people. Yeah. Like I, now that I look at it, I'm like, those were good shots that we called. Um, Risky. I didn't. And it was sort of like I had never done it before. So I didn't know if it was going to work. That was the hope. And then suddenly Fortune 500 CEO started walking in. Like a guy would walk in, look like Captain America. I'm like, this guy is, uh, something's off about this dude. Right? So we'd look him up. I'm like, holy moly. This guy is the CEO of this big multi-million dollar business. Right? And then this guy's... Is that the guy that spoke at the last event? Yeah, That's, last event. And you would yeah. never know, right? Is it the Molly Maid CEO? Yeah. yeah. Molly. Molly Maid, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, Aaron, he was an impressive guy. Aaron, great client. He's like everything like a dad should be, uh, um, like a business owner should be. This guy came in and was giving us his time. More, more, like more than business. It was his time, right? And then uh, there were other fortune, there was other uh, retired CEOs that were walking in. That was one tier of people. But then the next tier that we were, that we really gravitated, our heart really went out to were the entrepreneurs, you know? So you started walking in. Uh, guys like Anthony, Anthony Reed at HIC started walking in, right? Uh, Chase started walking in. And when all these people started to congregate, I'm like, you know what? Let's just create an environment for them to chat with each other. And I had used ChatGBT to look up like uh, the source words for, um, or synonyms for like people that go against the grain. Mm-hmm. And the word Mavericks popped up. And I'd just seen Top Gun. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? Mavericks, like that, that perfectly captures the spirit. It's like, That's oh, the truck I drive. It's a Ford Maverick. Is it? You yeah. know, somebody told me I should be driving those trucks around now. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Um, so now we have this, it's informal, but it's starting to get formalized. This group of Mavericks at the shop, people that we personally invite, that we believe have the right energy, the, the, the same spirit towards entrepreneurship and financial freedom and investments and crypto and all that kind of stuff. To, to learn, to be with each other, and then to get to the next level and then not do it by themselves. So we never had that for ourselves. Like when we, not to bash uh, any institution, but for example, when we went to the Chamber of Commerce meetings, 
I realized I wasn't seeing other business owners for the most part. I was seeing the sales reps of the business owners. And here I was, Russell and I were trying to go there to try and share war stories with people that had gone through the same journey that we were going through. But they were so big that they weren't there at those meetings. It was the sales guys. So then I thought, you know what, man, let's just do this ourselves. All the entrepreneurs, we'll get a network for us. So that's how Maverick started. Yeah, it's a great business lesson too because you're focused on the affluent um, members of this particular neighborhood. And what do you like about selling to those people specifically? Like what are the advantages that you've found in dealing with those people directly versus maybe your shop in, in Brampton where you didn't like the clientele as much? And not to crap on Brampton too. No, no, no. Yeah, no. we're all kind of from Brampton, so we're allowed to, but. I don't know, just the experience they had and, yeah, I don't know, just, um, they've been in the industry, in their respected industries for a long time and they've gone through uphills and downhills, so they're, they have stories to share. Are they willing to spend more money? In, in uh, where we are right now? For a haircut, No, yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> oh, really? No, the pro so the, the biggest problem is I, so I grew up with, I basically grew up in a Caribbean barbershop. Like when I, when I learned how to cut hair, it was a Caribbean vibe everywhere. So the haircuts, they, these guys would come, I could have like 100 clients that could cycle me through a month, one month. I could get the 100 guys coming one month and I'll be good. But in Oakville, everyone gets a haircut. Probably the turnaround time is probably four to eight weeks. So that's the problem. You need way more clientele to sustain your, your shop. Versus in Mississauga, you just need 100 people because they come, they have fades. So they come every two weeks, every week. Oh. So I had, I had, in Mississauga, I had 15 guys pre-scheduled in my, in my appointment. Is book. it just more white people in Oakville? Is that why? Um, no, it's not, honestly, it's not even that. It's just like no one gets fades. The fade thing. Yeah, no one gets fades. I know kids in Oakville. And I'm like, have you, they, they get a number three on the side. And I asked them, have you tried like a fade, a skin fade? Oh, number one. They're like, no, I haven't. Like no one has ever told me to do that. So we actually have a customer that I told them, I'm like, maybe you should try a skin fade. So now he's weekly for us. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to push people to get a fade more. That's what we do, right? We do fade, we do everything. But mm -hmm. I specialize in fades because I grew up in a Caribbean barbershop. But Mrs., people in, in Mississauga, Brampton, Milton, they spend more money on haircuts. Whereas people in Oakville, they don't, they spend, I think they're spending money on leisure stuff like, like bars and food. If the hair grows up to six, eight weeks, they don't care because it's longer, so it doesn't look as bad. But no one goes short. If you go short, then they know they have to upkeep it. So yeah. they don't get it short, they get it long. So they're like, I'll come every two months. I'm like, okay. Interesting. And it's a product of the clients too, right? Like the, the clients in Oakville are business clients. So they have longer hair, the hair can grow out, and the barbers have a specialty in being able to cut the hair so that in six weeks, it still looks great. So it would work to our favor if we cut it in a way knowing that in four weeks you'd have to get another haircut, but we don't do that. Like we just have, Russell is an amazing barber and our other barber, Ben, incredible. They cut hair in a way where you don't have to come back. You, you look good throughout the waiting time until you come back and then refresh, right? But I will say that for business people, especially the modern business person, to have a business cut at the top and then a fade on the side you really do stand out. You look like a, a modern day Ferrari, <laughs> like in terms of the business guy. Yeah. You know, it's not the old school business guy. There's like almost this modernity to your, to your carry, you know, the way you carry yourself. Yeah, it is a more modern cut because it's like modern professional. Exactly. I, I like it in the fade because then, yeah, I can go like three weeks without getting a haircut. Exactly. Like I think you cut me last Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And it's all be good for another week and a half. Exactly. You know? Um, okay, so this Society of Mavericks thing is cool because, I mean, it's what I'm into and it's like, great, I get to connect with all these other people through your shop, which I hear about all the time. Like when we get a cut, you're like, oh, I know this one guy, you know, that's got 20 rental properties and here's how he runs a business. And then like your partner you were telling me about in the business that uh, uh, runs, you know, several businesses passively and has this kind of great lifestyle. But what I like about the group is it keeps me connected to the shop mm -hmm. and it keeps me coming back for more. Mm -hmm. And it just provides a deeper kind of meaning behind just getting a haircut. Right. Um, you've got this like fancy bar at the front, like it's a lounge area to kind of connect with other people and you're attracting the other type of people that I want to connect with. So it's like, I don't know, it, it really lends itself well to the marketing and stuff. Like it gives it a deeper purpose. Did you have any of that planned or it was just kind of subconscious the way you set it up? So when we opened the place, I don't know if you, we, I don't know if you mentioned it before, but we wanted to open up the Continental in John Wick, 
of barbershops. Yeah, you did tell me that. Basically, so we were looking at another unit before it in downtown Oakville on... Explain that, the Continental and John Wick. What so, was? So basically, we wanted a massive bar, and we wanted a one-stop shop where anyone could come in and, I guess, transform themselves. So like, us growing up, we... We constantly got better and better, but we had to struggle, watch a lot of YouTube videos, read a lot of books to figure out what is the best way to get better and better. So we wanted this place to be a society where you could walk in not knowing anything and be like, okay, this is what I need to do better in life. Like we wanted a, a suit guy. We wanted a haircut. We wanted uh, clothing. We wanted yeah, watches, watches anything to lend, your, lend yourself for confidence because you need confidence to get anywhere, I think. You know what I mean? So we wanted to do that. So the first unit we looked at, it was Trafalgar and Lakeshore. It was a massive unit and we wanted to do it there, but it was way out of our means. So that's why we started, this place we started small, but then we got hit with COVID. So we had to readjust a little bit just to focus on the barbershop to get the bills paid. But our goal is still to open a massive spot and to get guys that don't know what they're doing, that want to change themselves to walk in and be like, again, surrounding themselves with good people that, that have gone through it. You know what I mean? So they could get in and they could learn and they could get better. Yeah. That's what we wanted to do. We had this um, this one student walk in, right? And um, I just said hi to him, do you want any water or espresso or anything while he was waiting? And he's like, no, no, I'm good, but I'll have a, I'll have a beer or I'll have a whiskey. I'm like, son, you don't look more than 15, right? He's like, no, I got, I got my ID here. And he passes me his high school card, right? So he's just joking around. But the thing is, we get into this conversation where he starts saying like, yeah, I want to be a doctor one day. Right? So he's grade 10. I want to be a doctor, so I know what I need to do good in grade 11 and 12. Because of all the lessons I went through in business, right? I was able to tell him, listen, to get to, a, to become a doctor, right? You need to figure out exactly what you need to do by right now so you can nail it for grade 12. So what ended up happening was I started talking to him. I started saying, like, don't have any plan Bs. If you're going to be a doctor, be a doctor. Don't do anything else. This kind of energy got imparted to someone who's in grade 10. Had, had someone told me that, my life would have changed, right? He started following us on Instagram. And I didn't know if I had just said something to somebody that just it went over their head or if it went to their heart. And what's happening now is we have created a place, that very dream that we were imagining, where people come in and they may not know what they want in life. They want a haircut, fine. But then I'll always say hi to them at the front. We'll start talking about something. And then boom, it'll be like, I've always wanted to start this business. And I'm like, why didn't you start this business then? He's like, you know, I don't got the money for it. Well, there's different ways to raise capital. You know, there's different ways to organize your business plan. You got to do your cash flow analysis. Read these books. I'll tell you the three books you need to know to start any business. I couldn't believe that our place actually became an avenue for changing people's lives. So in a sense, actually, I think, uh, I think we did achieve it. It's one customer, at a, one customer at a time. It's not like a system that we have in place just yet. It's coming from the heart, but that's happening now. Well, you stand at the front almost like a concierge. Yeah. Like when you walk in, like you, you walk in and you, you know, you welcome the person at the door and then you say, would you like a drink? You've got the full bar there. You've got a little putting green. It's yep. allowed, you know, you start making conversation and stuff. Why did you set it up that way? Was so, it just to stand out from a regular barber shop where you kind of walk in, take a seat and wait for a chair? No, that's a good question. You want to answer that one? Well, no, you go, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say that. So when Russell used to work at the Caribbean barbershops, right? If he wasn't there, I would have never walked in, right? I'd just be too scared to ask for a haircut. And what I realized is like people like me who are introverted, uh, people like my dad probably wouldn't go into a place like that because they'd be too scared or, or it would just not be an inviting place, right? Intimidating. Intimidating. Yeah. So we thought, let's create a barbershop where we get rid of all the barriers to entry. So have someone friendly in the front that smiles, offers them a drink, to come in and then when they come in they they feel like they're already friends there and we really do feel like they're our friends so then that actually causes us to get repeat customers very quickly like i remember this one time this dad brought his son in he's already got another barber so his son went to go get a haircut and we're having a beer and we talk about something and we talk about bars and we talk about business and we talk about the history of our family and entrepreneurship and all of a sudden he's like you know what i'm going to sign up i'm going to come in a couple of weeks you know i'll come in for a haircut because of that front desk person. So the front desk person is, one, it's to show the spirit of the business to the person coming in to get rid of the barrier of entry. But two, and I just realized this, it actually creates conversions much faster, right? Like I can get a commit a person to come in more often because of that friendly face in the front. 
So that's that's the purpose of it. Yeah, you make a personal connection with the person. I remember my first haircut. Um, I walked in and we started talking about like monetary history. Yeah, yeah. Within like two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Five yeah. minutes. Yeah. And Bitcoin. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is what I was looking for when I moved to this neighborhood was these types of conversations and these types of people yeah. who are into this this type of stuff. Well, well, in like to counter, not to counter that, to reflect that, we moved here to meet people like you. So when you walked in and you're like, yeah, I, I met these two guys, real estate changed my life. I'm like, is he talking about that book I read? <laughs> like Rent to Own, right? That yeah. Own book. yeah. And you're, you're like Rockstar. I'm like, this is Providence, man. I have to join this group. Yeah, because you were on the email list, right? You had downloaded the book. Yeah, but I never got into the free class because there was always something that came up, right? And then uh, ultimately I made time for the free class. Then I joined Rockstar. And then I started meeting all these people. It's like right now I'm part of the Platinum group, right? Uh, yeah, you're, you've grown very quickly within Rockstar for going from regular member right to Platinum member, which is... Yeah, because Platinum was like running a small business Platinum was the means I saw to go from just being a small business owner to like one day being a multimillionaire for the like for both my brother and I. But that took business lessons. I was trying to buy speed when I bought Platinum. So the Platinum membership, just for anyone who doesn't know, is a tier at Rockstar where it's like a business mastermind. And then with that, you also get access to like the VIP membership we have here and the, the regular one. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, what's, what's Rockstar been like for you? Like what's your experience been like so far? Well, I think... Uh, if every other conversation I have with the client is about Rockstar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I walked by on uh, Saturday, or yeah, was it Saturday night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had uh, I grabbed some gelato with uh, my girlfriend Christina. We were walking around, and then I catch Ryan's eye through his shop. So I walked in just to introduce him to, to Christina. Yeah, and he was like, "Dude, I was just telling this guy about Rockstar." I, I actually talk about it too. I'm not even part of it yet, <laughs> yeah. but I talk about it too because the concept is nice. It's a very good concept. Yeah, I remember somebody was like, "So, so in Rockstar." Like basically 50 bucks a month, you get a coach, right? And I remember the converting statement, eh? The, the one thing you said that actually said, that, 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 makes, that, that told me that makes uh, absolute sense. You said, even for 50 bucks a month, if you never bought anything, you'd learn so much, it's beyond the value of 50 bucks. And I was like, you're absolutely right. I spent 50 bucks on sushi and it goes away in two hours. Yeah. This 50 bucks, I could buy a house one day. So when I joined Rockstar, it, it's those people I started to meet. So now everybody, and it was the promise that they were giving me, right? It was like the idea that, no, you can be financially independent through real estate. It's not as difficult as you think it is. I, and I thought I'd be alone in that process. I'd have to learn from scratch. And I still remember the day when one client was like, you know, I'm pretty pissed that you're paying these guys to learn about real estate. All that information is free. And I looked at him and I'm like, listen, you think, you think I don't know how to get a six pack? I know how to get a six pack, but I still need a personal trainer. Right, and they're more expensive than Rockstar, but this I get a house, right? So Rockstar accelerates. Rockstar accelerated my ability to buy real estate, but it it was more than that. Like after after getting into real estate, it was the people I started to meet. Like one day, I, I had this audacious goal to one day buy a building. Then at a VIP meeting, I sit across the guys like, "Oh yeah, I buy buildings." I'm like, "What do you mean you buy buildings? I buy <laughs> I buy nine plus ten plus units and, and rent them." I'm like. Dude, this guy buys buildings like I buy furniture, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I could have never met these people before. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what Rockstar has been to me. So I tell everybody, listen, you're trying to get financially independent by yourself. Why? Just take the process that these guys give you, mm -hmm. right? So, so every time I'm in the shop, like we're talking about real estate and stuff, where do you guys see real estate as part of your overall life plan? Oh, I love real estate. I made most of my money on real estate. Like, I don't know if you know, but I bought a house in 2016 in Guelph. Um... And then I bought a house in Milton in 2019. <clears throat> but I want to get into more real estate. I sold my house in 2019. I sold my house in Milton in 2021. When the boom was happening, I sold it. But that's when I realized you could make so much money off real estate. You know, just the timing alone is if you, if you time it well, you can make a lot of money. So I, would, I want real estate. I, I think my, my next investment, I'm trying to get another house. I'm trying to get a, a multiplex, a quadplex. I think we found in Guelph. I'm trying to secure that, but I might need to sign up for Rockstar, man. Like yeah. The tools I need. You know what I mean? And you're looking for long-term buy and hold? Like, what would you want to get out of your portfolio? Uh, yeah, long-term buy and hold, for sure. Start building some long-term wealth? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I've seen, we have, we have a customer that has like 30 plus properties and he just buys and holds them. But now his life is complete passive. He does whatever, he works and then if he wants, he'll just go play video games or he'll do whatever he needs to do because he's, he's made his life so automatic and you could do that with real estate if you have tenants. 
he has 37 doors or 37 37 doors and then he has money coming through each door so his life is completely automated and it's, it's what i wanted to do for my whole life yeah i want to buy back time you know what i mean yeah so that's that's a sense uh, real estate so real estate is i want it to be the majority of my investment if not the whole thing and what do you think you do at the barber shop and your plans with that well I, I can't stop cutting hair like i have clients that will never go to anyone else and i still enjoy it like I'm cutting my friends it's like hanging out with your friends even people like you the conversations are good so i'll cut hair part-time but i want the shop to run it i want my whole life to be passive that's what i want by 40 i have an ambitious goal to make my life passive so i could enjoy the things i need to enjoy because if i sacrifice for 10 years five ten years then i could enjoy the rest of my my life i don't want to be 60 70 years old with money but struggling to walk and struggling to get in the car i finally got at 70 years old and i'm busting my back i don't want to get to that so i think real estate is the best avenue to get to that and a passive business like a barbershop yeah yeah you kind of figure out the money problem and then you can focus on other areas of life right? exactly and then ryan how are you thinking about real estate yeah so um i want to get three like duplexes with adus like um uh, the garden suites and uh, like with Rockstar, like I, I only say that because Rockstar gave me clarity on how possible that is now in certain uh, cities and municipalities. So, yeah, three properties. I want my properties to be like the, like the shining example of what a house could look like on that neighborhood. Like especially when I drive through Hamilton, and I see how run down Hamilton is, but then I see those old brick homes. I'm like these buildings are like these homes are stunning. If only they had like the right owner and the right tenants and the right setup. But this would be like a like a jewel in this in this neighborhood, right? So I wanted to do that. Um, like I said, I was very interested in talking to that guy about purchasing a building. And now I'm thinking, he, he actually convinced me that buying a building was like, made a lot of sense. Like for example, if I had 10 houses, how many furnaces did I have? I had 10. But if I had 10 units in an apartment building, how many furnaces did I have? I had one. If I wanted to buy 10 houses, I'd have to have 10 mortgages. Versus if I want one building, I'd have a commercial loan, right? And qualifying for a commercial loan is different from personal mortgages, right? So it's almost like the commercial world is a bizarre world in terms of the requirements. It's like easier to get loans. So I said, I want to get a building. And then honestly, my, I think one of my most ambitious goals is one day to own my own hotel. Like to actually legitimately open the Continental. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. legit like run that out. So um, that's, my, that's my real estate plans. Okay, so that you just purchased a property with Dan. Yeah. Um, so is that what that property is going to be? I know you're going to convert it to a duplex, but then it also allows for a garden suite. If it allows for a garden suite, I want to put that in. Um, and even if it, if it doesn't, then I'll hold it for now. But ultimately my goal is three duplexes with a garden suite, nice homes for people that cash flow well, and it takes care of itself. And why that strategy specifically? Like why do you, what attracts you about that? You know what? It was, um, uh, it was one of the uh, rockstar real estate agents had mentioned if you had just three properties, right? And you might disagree with how this is all laid out. But if you had three properties that were fully paid off, right? And everything you got from the tenants was pure cash flow, from just three properties, you could make $12,000 a month. And I was like, three properties? That's at max nine tenants. I don't wanna have 10 houses and like 30 tenants to get the same amount of money. You know, I just, I know you're sinking all your capital into your house when you could use that to buy other properties, but I'm not buying properties to buy properties. I'm buying properties for passivity. So here I have the opportunity to own three homes. My capital is in it, but now I'm getting 12K a month out every month. So that's the reason I gravitate towards that idea. And then the building is because I just think the building is like nuts. If someone were to ask you like, you own, a, like, you own rental properties? Like, yeah, I own a building. Yeah. You know? I own a hotel. It's like, that's it, you made it. Like all those big plans, you actually did it. So. That's yeah, why. that's cool. I was uh, talking to my buddy just a couple nights ago and we were talking about our portfolio and we were like, yeah, if these mortgages were paid off, like we'd both replace our incomes right now. Yeah, 100%. And you know, it's going to take, let's say, you know, we got 25 years left on each mortgage, but yeah. like the writing's on the wall already. Like we can mm -hmm. see that that's the future. Right. When we want to retire, we'll have those assets in place. Right. And we're still in growth mode. Like we don't want to stop with three. We want to keep going and going and going. But even now the setup I have, I'm so much further ahead financially than I ever would have been had I not got into real estate. Mm -hmm. And like you, Russ, like I've only ever really made serious money in real estate. Oh, I know. And not only that, everyone I've ever met that's made some serious money has been involved in real estate or they're a business owner. Yeah. And usually it's both. 
And it's not just made money, it's, it's the person with the time freedom, mm-hmm. with the location freedom, that's bought their time back, that's living their life the way they want to. I just haven't met the guy that's done that by investing in stocks. I know they exist, or the guy that's met, that, that's done in investing in crypto, you know, just crypto alone or something like that. It's, it's always been real estate, mm-hmm. usually real estate, or a combination of business and real estate. Mm-hmm. Like these are the actual people, and it's anecdotal. I know there's people investing in stocks, doing well, but I've definitely never met the person that has the freedom that I want in my life that's invested in mutual funds. Exactly. Like specifically mutual funds, mm-hmm. haven't met that person, but that's what we're all geared to do. That's what we're all pushed towards. Mm-hmm. That's what the financial institutions that we bank with want us to do. That's what uh, you know financial planners recommend doing. And I get the strategy like passive index investing or mutual funds, like I get it, but it's better than nothing. But yeah, real estate just lends itself to a whole lot more of that freedom because of the control you have, because of just the amount of ways that you can make money with a single property. Mm-hmm. Like we just turned a regular property into added two bedrooms in the basement, turned it to a five bedroom student rental. Cause I noticed a bunch of students were reaching out mm-hmm. to rent this property, even though it was nowhere close to Brock university. Mm-hmm. There's just like student rental demand exploding. So now we added two bedrooms for 10 grand reno in the basement. And we're increasing the rent from the property from what we probably get like 25, 26 tops plus utilities to now 31, 25 a month coming wow. in from that property. So it kind of pays off the 10 grand investment pretty quickly. 100%. And if we ever want to go back to single family, we can, but real estate gives you that control. Like these direct ways you can increase income, decrease your expenses. It really is like a business. So there's um, there's two statements uh, I remember reading in two different books. So one was Mike Zermo's book, Wealth Won't Wait. And he said, even the richest business people park their money in real estate. And that's when it clicked for me because I was like, when you make all this money from your business, where do you put it? Like, where does the cash go when you don't need it? It goes into real estate. Ultimately, you're going to start buying property and plant and assets that are physical, tangible, and have the bank can um, assign value to it, right? Um, so ultimately, rich people any of any kind of wealth are going to park it in real estate. But the other thing, too, was I remember um, there was this one book that Tom and Nick wrote. I just opened it randomly because I didn't have time to read the book. So I just opened it randomly on one page. And I'm lucky I read this paragraph. It basically said, there is no passive income. Everything is active. Like, you think that you're, you, when you invest in stocks, it's not active. It's not active by you, but there are people actively trying to get you 6% return, like, oh, oh in the stock market. Hmm. Do you want to give other people the ability to control your returns, or do you want to take control of your returns? And that's what you do with real estate. You take the asset, you control how much money you put into it. You control how much money you get out of it. You control the marketing. And it's a much easier process than business. So if everything really is active management of wealth, you want the one where you can get your hands the most dirty or you can get the most connected to it. And real estate was that. And then at the same time, real estate allows you to automate it too. You don't want to manage the property, you got property managers. You don't want to do the contract, you hire a contractor. You don't want a tenant, you find a guy that can find you tenants. Mm-hmm. Right, everything can be clockworked for real estate, but you can get your hands dirty and understand the system in the nitty gritty. But if I put money into an ETF, what am I going to study? All one thousand stocks that compose that ETF? Am I going to study the visioner, the, the visions, and the, the the financial plans, the financial statements of all the companies that make up that ETF? It's not possible, right? I'd rather just do that with one home, or my own business. Yeah. Those are great points. And when you compare it to your business, imagine trying to find a manager to replace you guys to manage Goldwyn and Sons. That, that doesn't have the personality, that doesn't have this vision, that doesn't have everything that's attracted me to your business, right? Or imagine you want to completely stop cutting hair. I know you have Ben in place and mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. but how many of your clients would be like, Russ, like you're my guy. I know, I know. You're my guy. Like, that's, that's why I can't let, I know. I can't, you know, I can't let go. You can, you definitely can. Yeah. I'm not, I know you don't want to, Yeah, yeah. but it's so much harder to put those people in place. Whereas with the property manager, I mean, you still have to manage your manager and you want to get a good one and you can get bad ones, but it's a lot easier to find a property manager than it is a barbershop manager. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more training you're going to have to do for the barbershop manager. If you ever want to sell Goldwyn and Sons, think about how hard it is to sell that business versus selling a, you know, that duplex that you just bought, Ryan, yeah. in a few years. Like there's already this huge demand for that house, not just from investors, right. but from regular people. Yep. But whereas this barbershop, someone's got to want to own a barbershop in Bronte Harbor in Oakville. Mm-hmm. And not only that, like when you, when you buy a house, you are getting involved in the oldest industry in the world, like the first shelter, right? So like more than food, 
uh, if you don't have a place to eat your food, if you don't have a place to sleep, you don't have a place to protect yourself from, from the weather. That's like the oldest industry. So if you, if you start a business, you're always starting from scratch, unless you buy a business. But in a sense though, that's not the oldest business in the world. Versus the, the real, estate invest, uh, real estate industry is, has been like tried and tested for like a thousand, two thousand years. So you don't have to start everything from scratch. That's the problem with business. Business is like you gotta start it from scratch. You gotta learn all these lessons. You don't know how the dynamics is gonna work. And you're not dealing with anything critical either. Like someone is gonna give me half their income per month for their house. They're not gonna give me half their income for a haircut, right? So now I gotta figure out, okay, how am I gonna make revenue off haircuts? Because the, the, the game is different. The scale is different. The number of zeros is different. So I find real estate to be much easier, but still, I don't know, like, entrepreneurship runs in our blood. Like we have to nail entrepreneurship for some reason. In me, I have to get it right more than real estate. Cause I think real estate's already done and my ego is telling me I want to do something that has not been done for a long time in our family. Why are you guys so driven? Where does that drive come from, from the both of you? I think it's a prove something to ourselves. Like we were like growing up, we weren't, we were, we were not confident. We didn't think we could do anything. And then we just, for me, one day it clicked, 26 years old, it, it just clicked. I'm like, I'm tired of like living this life, you know? Like we follow people, like we, we watch sports all day. So we're watching other people get better and better and better and get paid millions of dollars. So I, it just clicked in my head one day. I'm just like, why? it's not fair that these guys have the same amount of time we do, but they allocate it way differently than we do. Yeah. So I wanna know what they do. So that, I think that's what drove me to be like, I need to do something now. You know, I need to, I need to, I need to change something I'm doing because I need to, because if anything happens in their life, they could, with money, they could just fix it. So money was a big thing for me. I just wanted money so I could take care of people. Like if, I, if my parents ever get old, I want them to live, I want a big house where they could live with me too. You know what I mean? So I want to take care of people with money. I want my life to be way easier. So that's what, that's what hit me. I just wanted money. I wanted to find a way to make money. That's, yeah. that's what the, the driving point for me was. And for me, it's uh, one is to manufacture my own source of wealth, right? But two, is I wanted to be able to write a document. I always tell Russell, it's like the entrepreneur's document and then pass it on to my son, right? Pass it on to Gia, pass it on to our uh, children, nieces and nephews so that if they ever wanted to start a business, here's all the lessons you learned from your great, 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 great grandfather. Because there have been rich people in our family. They just passed away before they wrote any of their methods down. So now I gotta learn it all from scratch. So my goal is to use the short time I have to get it all right, write this document down and pass it to my son right? And pass it to the people, the kids that I know so that they can start their own businesses and, you know, achieve like financial freedom themselves. And the biggest thing too is like, so, um, like I, I remind myself constantly about how my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My dad, like both my grandfathers, both our grandfathers, but when our dad's dad had a business and it didn't work and he had another business and it didn't work and he had another business and it didn't work. And what breaks my heart was when he said, you know when people say like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go until I die, like I'm gonna win or I'm gonna die trying. Well, he died trying. He never, he never ended up winning. Like I think at 47, he had an aneurysm, passed away in the pantry of, his, uh, uh, of my grandmother's house. And so he had tried to start three businesses. None of them worked. I believe he always had that blood, passion to try another one. And then he passed away. And then after that entrepreneurship broke for like 30 years or 40 years in our family. And I'm like, I mean, I can't, the story can't end like that. You know what? Like maybe, maybe the story should be his grandson picks up the pieces and then tries to figure it out. And then he figures it out for the sake of his grandfather, you know? Because the similar story happened to my, um, my mom's dad where he lost the, the family wealth and then suddenly the house almost got repossessed and they lost a lot of uh, their personal assets because they had to pay back some loans. Um, and then he passed away. At, I don't know what age he passed away, but he passed away at an older age. But none of them having reclaimed the wealth that their fathers had given them. So now I was like, you know what? I need to figure this out. So the, my biggest drive is that, so that I can pass it on to my kid and then my kid can continue to be successful. Why are you so dead set on entrepreneurship? Like, why do you want to introduce that back into your family? Why is that so important to you? Our, our parents actually would discourage us from doing it, especially as brothers, going to a business as brothers. It's frowned upon because a lot of, in our family, brothers have stopped speaking to each other because of money. Yeah. So our family is just, in the beginning, it was completely dead set on that. Our parents are still nervous 
about the business because it's, as you know, like during COVID, we opened during COVID and it was, we we're just hovering to pay bills. And then on top of it, we're brothers and we were fighting a lot. Yeah. And my mom could see that right away. So she was scared that what is happening to her grandfathers was going to happen to us. So we kind of want to be like, listen, it's not like that. We just have to persevere through all the, the, the downhills and then we'll, we'll get there eventually. But it's, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Like we're going to fight. Sometimes we're not going to talk. But at the end of the day, we're going to build a big business and then everyone can learn from us. Our kids, the, the, our little cousins that want to learn how to open a business, they could come to us. Yeah. Because we've learned the lessons. You know what I mean? So. And the other thing is this, like you're either, you're either an entrepreneur or you're working for an entrepreneur. Right? Like, in the end, if you have a stable job. Okay, like, I remember one time, um, I wish I could draw it out, but I remember one time, so you have, I, I was sitting in a sales department and I, I had a quota I had to meet, but I couldn't get any cold calls. Like, I couldn't secure any appointments that day, so I was the only one in the office. So I turned around, I looked at the customer service department, and they're all sitting there just busy taking calls, right? And I realized, that whole department has a steady salary and benefits and never has to worry about income because there are a bunch of sales guys in the front line of business literally fighting a war to meet their quotas. And like sales is like this, but sales have to be high enough that these guys can get stable pay. So we think that life is, when you get a full-time job, life is stable, life is secure, but you don't understand the company has a massive effort in place to try and make sure sales at this level, which is very turbulent, will at least give this level of stability to everyone else, right? So in my head, I'm like, so there is no stability or security. You know, if this number dips a little too low, that's when you start getting layoffs, you get bankruptcies, you get business closed, and you're not in control of that. So I was like, if business is actually war, if it's actually a fight and, and there's just a facade that everything is safe, then I want to go to the front line. I want to see how that battle's actually fought, you know? And if I can figure it out, what enterprise could I build? Because right now I'm stuck trying to achieve other people's dreams when I have a full-time job. But every day I go to work working on my own business, I get closer to making, you know, our dreams come true, my dreams come true. And I got like crazy dreams. I got vision boards of crazy things I would have never asked for, but that I can only ask for now because I've decided entrepreneurship's the path to, that, uh, to those dreams. So yeah. that's why I'm so dead set on entrepreneurship. Have you regretted opening the shop at any time or wish that you were still back in that safe, secure, steady paycheck? Oh, so many times. <laughs> oh, Cause we opened six months before COVID. No, a month before COVID. We opened February, 2020. COVID happened March, 2020. Yeah. So then we got shut down in a period of two years, four times. And we were personal services. So we were the first ones to close and we were always the last ones to open. So. Luckily, the people we worked with, they helped us out a bit, but um, so many times we were like, like, why did we do this? Like, I, I, I was working in the basement of the salon. I was making a lot of money. My rent was like only 600 bucks. And in a month, I was cutting, in a day, I was cutting like 20, 15, 20 people, five days a week for 20 days a month. You do cut quick. Like, I can see that you cut your chops in this Caribbean uh, barbershop. Oh, yeah, all I did fades. was, every haircut I did was a skin fade, skin fade, skin fade. So I just, that's, that's what I do, is a skin fade. I love doing, I gave Ryan a skin fade. Like what, on Saturday? Yeah. Yeah, on Saturday. But that's, that's what I do. I was making a really good money in the basement. But I didn't want to work as hard, which is why we opened the shop. But yeah, there's so many times I was like, I was about to walk out too. I was, I was, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, I want to go, I have a family. I want to go back to my, my steady pay. I'm the breadwinner of the family. I'm making, so I got to take care of my kid. We have a kid on the way. I got to take care of my wife. So it was really hard for us. But we just found a way. We just, we are, our, our thoughts were aligned and we're like, we just have to finish this. Like we can't just stop what we started and fail. To us, that's failure. You know what I mean? But we, yeah, so many times, especially me, he wanted to go all the way. Ryan, Ryan has crazy dreams. And that's the good thing about Ryan is he, he's good at motivating people and he has crazy dreams. So that, you know what? I'm like, if he could, I don't want to leave him behind. I'm the barber in the industry. I don't want to leave him behind. So I said, you know what? I'll, I'll do this again for like, I'll renew my lease for like five years. I'm gonna struggle for like 10 years and see, total 10 years and see what this is about. Cause I think when it hits the 10 year mark, everything will change. Just like I was talking with Tom. Tom said he was going through a rough time for like five, five, six years. And then he said, after that, it started getting better and better. So nothing comes easy, man. Rome, like, like they say, Rome wasn't built in a day. So you have to take it year by year, but I was ready. I was ready to go. Yeah, and the stability thing, like, 
the, really, the, the only reason you really pursue stability is not because you want stability. It's because you're afraid of what other people are saying. Okay, maybe, okay, I can't speak for everyone, but I know for me, if I went back to stability, it was not because I needed it. It was because I, I felt like I wasn't pulling my weight as a husband when I wasn't bringing any money. I felt like uh, uh, I was disappointing my family when with an engineering degree, I wasn't an engineer, right? And, and it was always embarrassing when people would be like, what's your business? I'm like, I run a barbershop. I still remember this one time, this, uh, I met this uh, elderly Indian person. I went for a walk with my son. Middle of the day, he's like, oh, you run your own business? What's your business? I'm like, uh, I have a barbershop. And he's like, oh. And then he's like, what's your wife do? I'm like, my wife's a doctor. He's like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm like, typical Indian Come reaction. Come on, man. Yeah. Like, so they, they, they couldn't resonate <laughs> with it, right? Um, but, but if I go back to stability, then I, gave, not, I didn't give up. What was it? Uh, I acquiesced to what other people. Like, I would go to other people and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to achieve this. And now if I got a full-time job, it was me ducking what I said I would do. You know what? I saw a video on Kobe. Russell loves Kobe, right? That's my guy. So Kobe's got a fever and he's got a backache and he's got to play Vince Carter, right? And he's like, at any time, this would have been the time to call this game and be like, I can't go in for my health. But he knew in his reputation wise, is like, this guy's ducking Vince Carter. He's like, I'm not ducking Vince Carter, right? I'm going to go there. Even if I can't play to the best, I can't, I can't, I'm not at my best. I'm still going to go because I don't want that reputation. So likewise with me, when I said I was going to start a business, become a multimillionaire, own all these properties and assets and hotels and all that, if I got a full-time job, right, it will always feel like that person was like, oh, well, that guy acquiesced. You know, that guy's ducking what he said he would do. So, so now I'd rather just face bankruptcy before I quit. It's like a promise you make to yourself that you break and then your confidence gets shattered. Yeah. So I could see where it was coming from. So the other thing is that I... We're going to become multimillionaires, so that's the plan. Yeah, we know that. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, guys. I love the confidence. Yeah. And I love the responsibility you've taken, not just to change your own lives, but to change your family's lives. Mm -hmm. And then that the buck stops with you and your family, the entrepreneurs, you guys will start that and then pass the creed kind of down, like you spoke about. Yeah, yeah. It's taken like multi-generational responsibility. And I think when you do that, things become a lot bigger than just yourself. Mm -hmm. There's a lot bigger purpose kind of driving you. Mm -hmm. And it's you know, it's multiple generations down the line that will be affected by your decisions ultimately. And everyone's lives, I mean, it's, you don't think about it that often, but how you decide to live your life today will affect your great, 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 great grandkids in some format. Right, right. Like we have a, my grandmother's brother, him and his brother, when they started a business, had enough to share, like there's a South Indian dish called Vade, right? It's like this little deep fried savory donut. They only had enough to share one. If I got the story right, or one coffee or something like that, and then everything else would go towards the business. This man, when he passed away, and he was a very prayerful man, he didn't lose any of his ethics, he didn't lose any of his values, it's just amplified as he got more and more money. This man got into the granite business, he opened the duty freeze in Sri Lanka, he uh, got tea plantations, he was in the fishing industry. Like, because he went from, he got rid of the pride of having to share a buddy or having to share half a cup of coffee with his brother, him and his brother were able to get into all these industries. What his son has achieved and what his children have achieved, like all four, three or four of the children, is unbelievable. Then what his grandson has achieved is like insane. Like we can't even quantify how much wealth this guy must be having, right? So you're absolutely right. You nailed this concept, you nailed the formula once and you don't lose it, right? You wrote it down, you passed it on and it's this eternal creed. You create like the, uh, then you can explain why those, you know, those, uh, uh, those families that carry down the wealth for generations that just keep compounding, why they keep compounding. Because there's almost like this formula that they've passed down, that they are treasured, you know, that they've treasured and kept. I look at these big families in the, like the, the Rothschilds and the, yeah. and the Rockefeller family. They just, they keep teaching and teaching and teaching and they yeah. keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So... Yeah, it's cool. You, you guys really are taking what I think is like the hero's journey, which is you're taking all the responsibility, putting it on your back, and you're saying, all right, all in. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, Let's do it. Yeah. And uh, I think it carries on. Yeah, that's the plan. The, um, because we know that in the end, like, okay, so at the end of your life, what did you achieve, right? This was a, this was a great husband, great father, and whatever. But then here's all the, 
not enterprises, but the, all the people that you can affect by the, the work that you do, right? And the knowledge, again, it goes back to the knowledge that you pass on. Because if the, if you just die and you had a bunch of dreams, you never passed it on, right? You, or you never figured it out. What are you telling your kids? You're telling your kids that their primary responsibility is to grow up, sacrifice their dreams, and then tell their kids, you achieve your dreams. And those kids grow up with the same cycle and you sort of get this um, plateau at zero because nobody is going to achieve anything. Versus you tell your kids, I'm going to achieve my dream, son. You're going to have to catch up to me until the day you die. And then you pass away and your son climbs on your shoulders and then keeps on going. Right. And that energy keeps passing on. That's how you. So you go from you have this plateau at zero and now you've got this compounding interest. Right. That uh, where your family starts to take this like vertical uh, slope into like the stars. Only because one person decided I'm going to figure out this formula and pass it on. So uh, we got to do it. It's like an inner duty to do it. Yeah, we have it yeah, in it's our a blood. duty. That's right. That's and we, awesome. And we yes. indirectly impact other people too. Like I think we've impacted a cousin in our family that used to work in finance, and now he's opened up this big construction company. He's making like quadruple what he used to make before. Oh, yeah. So we just show people it's not as it's hard. Don't get me wrong. You have to go through the ups and downs, but it's not as hard as you think it is. So I think we've impacted a few people already because we just share a journey with a lot of people, and if they they say it's, these guys are making it not easier, but they're, they're giving me the confidence to open up whatever I need to open up. Yeah, there's, we had two younger cousins tell us, you guys have no idea how much we like uh, look up to you, you brothers starting a business. You know, and then we have other cousins that say the same thing. So passively, we may not know it, we are affecting other people uh, by these decisions to actually do this. A hundred percent. And how many people are going to listen to this podcast and be motivated by your story? Mm -hmm. And then where does that carry out? Precisely, yeah, yeah. That's right. Like I remember... Uh, so before I joined Platinum, right, Tom and Nick said that they couldn't afford their first seminar. And I remember trying to make the justification to sign up for Platinum. And, when, and I said, I didn't have the money for Platinum. And they were like, we didn't have the money for our first seminar. And then at the same time, I hear that uh, Tony Robbins didn't have money for his first seminar with Jim Rohn. I'm like, Tony Robbins? I'm like, Tom and Nick didn't have the... Am I walking on the same path? Right? <laughs> Let me just do the same thing, right? So you, you take these risks, uh, you figure it out, and inevitably you figure it out. Actually, you know what the, the crazy thing is? You know how you win or you die trying? Um, at least if you die trying, then maybe your grandson will pick up the piece. You know, pick up the pieces and continue on the story. Because you left something, you left like a good beginning to this chapter, right? Mm. So now you can, you, your grandson might. That's kind of how you view your grandfather, right? A hundred percent. Like I think he died trying and now you want to pick it back up. Yeah. I want to pick it back up. And I still remember this really kills me when one time I had a really rough time in the business and my dad sat down with me and he said, I wonder what my dad was going through. Cause my dad, my dad's dad was 47 when he passed away. Right. The business struggles were when he was 36. I'm 36. Like if I think of my, my grandfather at my age, I'm just still a kid, right? So what was my grandfather going through at that time when he had seven kids, he had multiple siblings, multiple in-laws that may have looked down on him for not succeeding? Like how, how heavy must his heart have been? Was that the cause of his death? Was the pressure of not being able to achieve what he wanted to achieve for his family the cause of his death? I'm like, no, that's the, the cause for your sanctity. That's the cause of your, I don't know if I can make a, What's that, like a, a legend or a mythology I can make out of him? You know, that was, your, that death, that struggle is actually what's going to make you the titan I want you to be, you know? Wow. Yeah, that's deep. You guys have clearly thought about this. And it's, I think that's why you guys have the drive that you do. Mm -hmm. I think you've articulated the deeper reasons. Um, what's next for you guys? What do you guys have planned for Goldwyn? So the, um, the continental, for sure. We just want a bigger location. Bigger location. So, okay, right now, so... Should we drop the, okay, yeah, I, I think we will. So anyway, um, we have a bar and barber shop, right? We are going to run the world's most extraordinary barber shop. Like we've, we had this idea of expanding to like multiple locations around the world. And now I'm thinking, and both of us have agreed, we're just gonna make this the most epic, classy, upscale barbershop you would have ever seen, right? And then, um, so it's a bar and barbershop, but in the, in the night, we're actually gonna open a speakeasy. 
So you're gonna have to sneak into the barbershop through a, a way we're gonna give you, right? And it's gonna be a really upscale cocktail bar. So Russell and I are working with an investor on a second business at the same location. Uh, we're planning on really making bigger the Mavericks initiative, right? So um, it's gonna be like a membership for entrepreneurs, local entrepreneurs, the goal being a promise. We figured out how to get out of cash flow negative. Join our group and you'll get out of cash flow negative. I can't promise you hundreds of millions of dollars, but that's not your problem right now. Your problem is your cash flow negative. At least if we can solve that, you can really fan, like, you know, fantasize about 100 million. So um, that's the idea for Mavericks. And then after that, Russ, you want to say what you want to do after the, uh, the pizza biz? Oh, yeah. I want to get into food, man. I want to open a restaurant. That's what I've always liked, but I'll eventually do that. But once we perfect this industry, it'll give me the confidence to start the pizza spot. But and you want to do that in Bronte Harbor as well? In no, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. Could be anywhere. Yeah, I just, we're still, I'm still testing out the recipes and stuff like that. But once I nail it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really... Because food is my... I love food. It's a killer pizza. Yeah, yeah. He's got the Detroit style... Uh, what's it called? Chorizo or chori fan pizza? No, yeah, I've heard about this pizza, like every haircut. Well, I, I want to eat this pizza. No, well, I basically deconstruct like a, a dish, a national, uh, international dish, and I make it into a pizza. So my wife's from Argentina. So we have, um, they have a street food called choripan, which is like chori is chorizo, which is the sausage. Pan is bread, and they put a chimney on it. So I basically deconstruct that into a Detroit style pizza. And uh, everyone's loved it, so I, I think I have something. So I think once I could get this going, I'm gonna start working on that. And a restaurant's always what I want to do. Yeah, always. Yeah. So probably do that. I'll have the barbershop. I have real estate. I want to have a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Going. Awesome, guys. Well, we have your back here at Rockstar. Um, I want to kind of just continue supporting you guys. You guys are super motivational for me to oh, hear your you, story. Man. So appreciate you guys coming on, being so vulnerable, sharing it, all the deeper reasons. Um, it's cool it's it's inspiring so yeah anything we can do we'll we'll try to do to help and i just want to say we appreciate you having us this is our first podcast yeah we really um, appreciate it yeah i used to watch these podcasts i'm like man what does it take to get over here i can't believe we're over here so thank you for giving us the privilege well you guys earned it all 100 well, i appreciate yeah. it yeah thanks so, so much thank you guys thank thanks you. thanks for coming on no anytime yeah, yeah anytime awesome so a big thank you to Ryan and Russell for coming on the show and sharing their entrepreneurial story. These guys give a great haircut and an even better conversation. So you can check them out by Googling Goldwyn and Sons Oakville to see their location, their website, their Instagram and Facebook. It's all under the handle Goldwyn and Sons. And you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com slash books to download Tom and Nick's uh, most recent and what I think is their best book that Ryan mentioned in the show for free as an ebook. That book is called How to Make Money, Investing in Real Estate in Canada. Canada, the shockingly simple formulas Canadian real estate investors use to create income for life. So that's available for free for download on rockstarinnercircle.com books. Thank you for always listening to the show and we hope to catch you on the next episode.